You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Does it matter if we obey God? Does it matter? Do the things that we hear here here on a Sunday uh, from the Bible, does it matter that we actually go and do it? Well, your first response might be, well, of, of, of course it does. That's, that's absolutely right. But I wonder if sometimes as Christians we feel like, well, maybe not in the explicit upper strata of our minds, but perhaps in our lives, that Jesus has died for us and God is all about forgiveness and God's all about grace. And so, uh, well, yes, it matters if we follow him, but... Uh, well, maybe not all that much. Does it matter if we obey God? And if we don't, if we hear the words uh, of the Bible read on the Sunday but fail to do it on the Monday, will that actually change my life? Will it make it worse? Well, uh, this morning uh, we uh, come to the end of our series on Leviticus and the book ends by presenting a choice. And the choice is obedience or disobedience. Will you obey these words or will you carry on living in your own way? And it also ends with the consequences for that choice. If you choose obedience, there is blessing, good and full life lived in the presence of a holy God, but... If they choose to reject God's words, well, the consequences in Leviticus 26 are are dire, both for this life and the life to come. Leviticus 26 says there's two ways to live and only one of them leads to good and full life. Now, in any passage like this, where we're talking about obedience and blessings and disobedience and curses, one thing we have to put in place is this is not about being saved. Every other religion says you do good, then God's blessings come. You do good and God will save you. Uh, You do good and you get eternal life. That's not what Christianity says. Actually, Christianity says God does good God gives his grace, we trust in that, and out of that, we do good. Uh, It's all about which which order you put those two things into. I mean, and you can see that in in the very structure of the Bible itself. It's interesting that Leviticus comes after Exodus, not before it. So uh, the way we often think is God comes up to his people and he says, Here are all the ways I want you to live. Here are all the good things I want you to do. And if you do all of those things, then I will save you. I will redeem you. I will will make you my people and I will love you. That's what the story would be if Leviticus had come before Exodus. But no, it's the other way around. And that's why in chapter 26, verse 13, which is up on the screen, 
He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. And he did it before he even gave them Leviticus. Out of his grace and out of his love. And so we need to have that front and centre as we think about Leviticus chapter 26. He saved them before he required anything of them. And that changes everything. God says, out of my grace, entirely of my goodness, I saved you. And now listen, these laws, this is not how you become my people. No, this is how you live as my people. Obedience is how you enjoy God's blessing. This is God warning saved people of the consequences also of disobedience. And actually, uh, before we start thinking, well, that's a very Old Testament kind of way of looking at the world, it's in the New Testament too. In our Gospel reading, Jesus has just told us, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And then he tells the parable of the two who built their houses, one on, on rock and one on the sand. And what is the difference between the two of them? One is listening to the word and doing it. It's founded on obedience. And he gets security and good things. The other one is disobedient. What happens to his life, his house? It's disaster, isn't it? That sounds actually very Leviticus 26. Jesus totally rejected the idea that saved people could live any way that they wanted to. Saved people obey. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to listen to his words carefully and do them. We're saved by grace And the wonderful thing about grace is grace is also our teacher. It leads us into the good, into delighting in obedience to God. In the Old Testament and the New, obedience is both expected and required of God's people. And in the Old Testament and the New, things do not go well for the disobedient. So as we draw to the end of Leviticus, that's that's what we find. Firstly, there are blessings for obedience. Obedience brings plenty, peace, and God's presence. So firstly, plenty. Verse 3. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops, and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting, And you'll eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. So the general rule is obedience brings plenty. Now, we also need to be careful here, don't we? Because this is not to say that works bring wealth. This is is not a prosperity gospel. Uh, Some people have taken this passage and others like it and used it to say that if, if I obey God then he will make me rich. But that's not what it says. It's, it's, and it's not what it says for a few reasons. Firstly, it's, it's a word not to individuals, but to a nation. 
If you as a nation follow me and keep my laws, you as a nation will prosper. And it's words to a particular nation at a particular time. It's a word to Israel at a time in salvation history before Jesus. And so this is a promise for covenant blessings for a nation, God's people, who will follow him and obey him. But there is a promise of God's provision. It is seemed to be baked into this world that if you live God's way, good things do happen. If you love your neighbour as yourself, you'll find that people find it harder to hate you and life goes better. If you give to the poor, as God has said, you discover not just the joy of generosity, but also you find that people think well of you and things go better. There's inherent ways in which following God and obeying him brings plenty. It also brings peace. So verse 6. I will grant peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land and the sword will not pass through your country. So few of us really understand the immense blessing that we live in. I I don't understand it. That we can live in a country of peace. But there are people in our congregation, uh, perhaps people here, right here in this room today, who have come from countries where that has not been the case, where peace has not reigned, where it's been war and bloodshed. And you know better than any of us the immense blessing that living in peace is. It's interesting that in Leviticus chapter 26, when it's talking about peace, the opposite is war, yes, but even more than that, it points to fear. You live in a place of war, then fear is in the air, and you live in fear. One of the beautiful blessings of peace is that you can live without fear. But of course, not all of us do that. Some of us do struggle with fears. As we go away from God, our fears increase, don't they? We begin to fear more what others think of us. We begin to fear more the future because we've walked away from the God whose hand is over all of our futures. And so the fear increases. But as we draw close to God, living by his spirit, living obediently to him, what do we find? We find that we have the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy and peace. Well, the blessings of God are plenty and peace, uh, but the blessing of God for obedience is ultimately his presence. Verse 11. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Can you see how the language here is straight out of Genesis chapter 1? 
actually Genesis chapter 2, before the fall, where God is walking in the cool of the evening with his people. It's a beautiful picture of God in his presence coming and living with his people. And the thing you need to understand is this is not just one blessing among many blessings. This is the blessing. The book of Leviticus, it's been straining towards this, that we can be in the presence of the holy God. This is the whole point of Leviticus. And that's the whole point of the gospel and what it strains towards, that we might come into the enjoyment of his presence. And that our hearts don't thrill at that thought means that our hearts haven't really understood it. God himself is our, the highest good, the greatest blessing, our wealth, our treasure, our food, our life, our beauty. And he's the source and goal of every one of our true and good joys. Being in God's presence is what we're created for. It's not the picture in your head that you have of being on a fluffy cloud with some kind of distant white light. No, this is the fulfilment of every true desire of your heart, the presence of God. Every other good, every other blessing is meant to point us to the ultimate good and blessing of being with our God. And once you understand that, then the rest of Leviticus 26 begins to make more sense. If there's blessing in obedience and that blessing is ultimately to be in the presence of God, then to disobey, to walk away from the presence and holiness of God is actually to walk away from all that is good. With God, there's plenty in peace. Apart from God, there's the opposite. There's neither plenty nor peace. And just as when on a cold night you walk away from a fire and the further you go from that, the less warmth and light you have. Well, the further you walk from God, who is the source of every blessing, the less peace and plenty you enjoy. As you read the rest of Leviticus 26, you see that there are very real and very material and present day consequences for not obeying God. Verse 14. But if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands so, and violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring on you sudden terror, wasting diseases and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. Not obeying God has, well, it has its own consequences, doesn't it? There are some natural consequences that just flow from disobedience to God. Because God's commands are for our good. And so when we don't obey them, we can expect things to not go well. If God says, don't touch the hot plate, the natural result of disobeying that law is that you will get your hand burnt. That just flows from the action itself, doesn't it? But what Leviticus 26 says is even more than that. He's not just talking about natural consequences. 
It's talking about God's judgment. His active judgment on disobedience. And as terrible as the reading of the rest of Leviticus 26 is, we need to remember that it is exactly what disobedience and sin deserves. And that should sober us about our sin and remind us that obedience is not optional. It's required. But I want you to see also that there's lots of little indicators of God's grace spread out throughout these verses. Have a look. Verse 18 and following. I've got a slide up there. Uh, Verse 18, and if in spite of this you will not obey me. Verse 21, if you continue hostile to me. Verse 23, if in spite of these punishments you've not turned back to me. Verse 27, but if despite this you disobey me. Can you see what it's saying? Again and again and again there are off-ramps that will take you off the road to disaster. There's little turn-offs of God's grace scattered throughout. At any point, any point, they can get off this cycle of disaster and return to God and his blessings. He stands ready to forgive. He stands ready to receive his people. He stands ready to bless. This is God calling his people back to him. The ever-quotable C.S. Lewis uh, said this in the problem of pain the human spirit will not even begin to try to surrender self-will as long as all seems to be well with it we can rest contentedly in our sins but pain insists on being attended to see sometimes not all the time but sometimes our pains are the call of god's compassion the goads that lead us away from the brambles and towards his plenty Sometimes it's the discipline of a loving father. Sometimes it's just you're living in a fallen world and pain comes. But sometimes it's the discipline of a loving father who's trying to bring you back to the plenty he offers. And this is really the point. God's grace is always there for those who repent. Verse 40. But if they will confess their sins... And the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and their hostility towards me, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. And here he's, not, of course, not talking about remembering as in, oh, I forgot. He is talking about remembering means he will act in saving grace in accordance with his promises. God wants to do this because he loves them. God delights in showing his grace. And though God's people back then couldn't see the fullness of it, God had given them hints through the sacrifices as to how he was going to bring them his grace. We can see it as New Testament people perfectly, can't we? Because Jesus' perfect obedience secures God's ultimate blessings for us. And in the Bible it also says that anyone who hangs on a tree 
who's under a curse. And our Lord Jesus Christ hung on the tree, on the cross, for us, and took all the curses of Leviticus 26 and bore them upon himself and so has taken the curses that our disobedience deserved. And he gave us his spirit that enables us to be obedient. Uh, So Peter speaks in 1 Peter 1 of us as people who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. And so it always begins in grace as a starting point of our holiness. Not starting in holiness as the precondition of God's grace. And that's why Peter goes on to say in chapter 1 from verse 13, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Because of that grace in Christ, prepare your minds for action, discipline yourselves, set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. And what happens when you set your heart on his grace? It's not do whatever you like. No, it's like obedient children. Do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And so that's how an unholy people comes to be in the presence of the holy God. Well, we've come to the end of Leviticus and unsurprisingly, I think we find ourselves talking again of God's grace. I wonder if at the beginning you thought as you looked at Leviticus, gosh, what a great big long book of laws. But actually it's been chock full of grace, hasn't it? Leviticus is all about how an unholy people could come into the presence of a holy God. And how God makes a way for that to happen. And so it's no wonder, it's no wonder that again and again and again, over these weeks, as we've looked at this Old Testament book, we've come again and again and again to Jesus. My prayer has been that as we've looked at this book, we'd come to see more deeply and more truly and more clearly and more wonderfully what Christ has done as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And as we do that, become more and more like him by his spirit to live as his holy people here in the world. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. That's the words blazoned across the book of Leviticus. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Leviticus. And we thank you for your grace that is so evident almost in every page of that book. We thank you, Lord, that you've been with us over these eight weeks as we've looked at this book. And sometimes, Father, it's been hard going. But we thank you that by your spirit you teach us and guide us and lead us. And Father, I thank you that you've shown us more of your heart and of what Christ has done and the kind of lives you call us to live. And so, Father, as we've 
looked at this book, we pray that we won't be like the one who built his house upon the sand, who hears your words and doesn't do them. But Lord, help us to be like the one who built the house upon the rock, to hear your words, to hear your grace, to hear your holiness, and then go and do likewise. And we pray that you enable us to do this by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.